So let me just say if, um, if anyone is listening to this um, now, uh, I'm sorry for bailing last week, just didn't put anything out. The reason for that uh, is twofold. Firstly, I just didn't feel like doing anything. I was feeling kind of sleepy. And then secondly, we were having like this, you know, just a very busy week. And then thirdly, uh, did I say two reasons or three reasons? I just got, I came up with a third. We have um, bad internet at the moment, but there is hope on the horizon. And um, I'm, I'm sort of wanting to not record a bunch of these while we've got terrible internet until I get this thing fixed because it's just painful. It's painful to do, to do this on terrible internet. So I'm just kind of delaying to so stay with us. If you're listening to this, don't worry. We haven't got anywhere. It's just um, life and stuff. All right. Now, we're coming back with a vengeance, though. I've got a very, very cool uh, topic to work with. Uh, Meredith Klein and uh, his little section on, you know, just dealing with uh, the neo-Calvinistic uh, thing. In fact, Chris, I don't know if we're in uh, King of Prologue, page 170, if anyone cares, but um, I can't think of any other place that he interacts with a neo-Calvinist directly, right? It's just the theocracy and theonomy and... You know, we, obviously there's kind of an overlap there, but there's no like direct, hey, let's have a look at neo-Dioverianism, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, I, I guess it's possible that it's in some uh, journal article, but this is definitely the main place where he would yeah, deal with it. Totally. So it's pretty cool. I'm glad. I mean, thankful that he decided to do this. I mean, it's almost like he just went out on a little bit of a, a whim there and, and just decided to include this material. Um, but it's very good. It's, it's, it's a powerful little rebuke uh, or a rebuttal or, uh, you know, just thought at least for um, uh, neo-Calvinist authors to consider um, as, they, as they rail on about uh, the, you know, this underlying dualism in, in, um, in uh, Kelvin in, in Kleinian thought. Um, man, I just had a few jitters there. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay. It broke up for a, a minute, but I'm. You're with us. Okay, good. See, this is what we're dealing with, people. I'm just going to run this. Are we, and are we back on track? We're back on track. I can hear you. You good? Okay, good. All yeah. right, cool. Um, so I was just saying, this is why we're waiting for next week. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> Painful. Um, so we, we might have to uh, squash the videos after a while and then we'll just look lame, you know, and just, just have like a little icon and it'll be like listening to the glory cloud. You know, when you just go onto YouTube and you just see the little cloud. <laughs> it'll just look. It's just, lame, just I think, like, is the translation for what Mike just said. Yeah, it's just what is the point of looking at a cloud when you're on YouTube? But anyway, um, you know, we, we, it's for the info. We deal with it. We get into it. We stay with you guys just because it's the info that we're after. Even if we have to look at a cloud, you know, why can't we see Todd? I want to see him. <laughs> I want to see a cloud. I want to see Todd. All right. Anyway. Um, legitimacy, not sanctity is the way he kicks this thing off. Um, so what I thought we could do, just, we're not going to get through the whole thing, but maybe, maybe we can come back to it if it gets interesting. Um, but at least that first uh, little section um, would be worth just just reading and quickly talking through um, because it's so interesting the way he dives right into it. So I'll just uh, read and stop and we can, we can comment. Um, so this is point B, legitimacy, not sanctity. Uh, in backing away from the mistake of identifying the city per se with the kingdom of Satan, uh, we must be aware of backing into the opposite error of identifying it with the kingdom of God in an institutional sense, an error equally serious and even more common. 
so there it is. He's just come right out of this whole, um, you know, heavy antithesis thing. And now he's uh, going on to the opposite end. And so, you know, it's interesting. Um, he says that you've got this uh, as quite a common error. And I, that's been my experience. Uh, certainly, you see this very interestingly in a lot of charismatic theology. I don't know if you've picked that up. Um, but it's it's like mm. you know kingdom yeah. ministries and kingdom now and kingdom domination and you know, pretty much everything with the prefix kingdom is just got something like this going on, which is um, just an interesting. It's often not even connected to any Calvinistic thought at all, but it sort of arrives at that place via prosperity gospel almost. And I don't want to poison the well by bringing up the T word, but um, it's interesting that Bonson noticed that. Um, there was a contingent of charismatics and Pentecostals that got on board with his theonomy. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. You know, and I remember that, which is kind of a weird memory, memory for me. I remember they had theonomists come. We had, we were at this big charismatic church. I mean, this is like, you know, just imagine the opposite end of Calvinism. I mean, it's got nothing to do with anything Calvinistic in any sense. And they had these guys come through, you know, I mean, I remember they, they, probably the most uh, sober-minded of the experiences was they, they sort of ran a lot of Schaefer's stuff and, and there was this big Schaefer scholar that came and spoke about worldview. And, and that was interesting. And that was probably the, one of the, the best of them. But, but then they would have these guys full on, you know, theonomists come through. I didn't know, I wouldn't have placed that mm-hmm. as the, as the term uh, back then, but wow. You know, now I look back on it. I'm like, they actually went there. They connected it. And that was always fascinating to me. And, and yeah, it's interesting that he noted that as well. The only connection I can see is eschatology. True. There we go. Just kind of a post-millennial thing going on. Yeah. Well, it, it just plays right into the power now, best life now, get it done now stuff, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and again, it tries to, where it does fold over to the neo-Calvinist stuff, I think, is it tries to, in a weird, you know, and this is a very interesting dynamic on its own, but it tries to... Um, give meaning to it's almost like trying to kick back to uh the the christian dispensational going to work experience where where you're um you know you're you're just going going to work to get through or to 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 evangelize someone or but really you know unless you're a pastor your life is pretty meaningless so so they've gone this other direction where they've said okay no you know you can have meaning in whatever you know your vocation is but it's almost like rather than just saying because vocation itself is a good thing, uh, they've said, you know, it's because you can turn that thing into a kingdom thing. You know, you can actually, you can Mm. make, you can start evangelizing without having to evangelize in that sense. You know, you could start, turn your restaurant into a kingdom restaurant by playing Christian music in the background and, uh, (laughs) you know, by giving uh, sort of extra bonuses to your staff or, you know, and this is now claimed for the kingdom. And it's, it's just kind of an interesting, now you're, now your job as a restaurant owner has eternal significance, you know, not because of, you know, it's good to work and, and, and be, and do things to the glory of God, but because, you know, you're actually going to bring in the eschatological kingdom through your, through your restaurant in a, in a, in a post-millennial sense, you know? So yeah, it's just like, it plays right into that. And then you're going along and you're naming and claiming things. And it's just like, next thing you know, it's custard. So yeah. Yeah. Totally. So there's that. There's the there's the Calvinist, um, at least the charismatic angle. I think another. I don't know if Klein had any of these in mind, but um, the liberal 
angle as well, of course, is the big one here where, I mean, this is, this is, you think kingdom of God for a liberal. Um, and I'm thinking theologically liberal right now. Um, you know, they're thinking, well, you know, year in now, roll up your sleeves, you know, do some social, social justice, social action, uh, you know, feed the poor. That's the kingdom, you know, done deal. It's got almost nothing to do with the church. It's just really, that's a, a little like empowerment hub for getting out there and, and doing, you know, the, the actual task of, of just making this world a better place to live in and where, where you've done a little bit of good in the world. That's where the kingdom of God shows itself. And there's no eschatology, anything. It's just, you know, it's a trying to make the world a better place. So they love this stuff as well because same sort of thing. Anyway, so those are some of the, I don't know if you had any, any more that you could think of in terms of some of the other, uh, uh, you know, people that get onto this. Uh, how does he put it? Um, we must be aware of backing to the opposite era of identifying it with the kingdom of God in an institutional sense, an era equally serious and even more common. Um, in fact, he goes on, yeah, in the midst of the threatening world environment to which man is exposed through the common curse, the common grace city offers the hope of a measure of temporal safety, but it does not afford eternal salva- salvation. It should not therefore be identified with the holy kingdom of God, which is the structural manifestation of that salvation. Um, with respect to this problem, special account will be taken here of branch of reformed Kyperian tradition, the tradition to which the present work is most indebted. Okay, so I thought he, he said something more about, it might have been somewhere later. But um, anyways, he just jumped straight into the, uh, to the Kyperian stuff and uh, the Neo-Calvinist stuff, which is obviously what we want to talk about. Um, what is very cool about that, I love the way he does that, is he goes, listen, Kingdom Prologue, uh, what is the subtitle again? Uh, Foundations for a Covenantal Worldview or something like that? Uh, Genesis Foundations for a Covenantal Worldview. There we go. I mean, that's like, you know, you, you get it from the subtitle, right? It's like right, right. we're in worldview world. You know, this, this is what we're doing. <laughs> we're, creating, we're speaking worldview language. So it's in that Kyperian domain, as it were. Sphere. It's in that Kyperian sphere. sphere. The, um, yes. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, that's where he wants to work. That's where he wants to operate. He loves the tradition. He's in the tradition. And um, yeah, I really love that. I think that's fresh, you know, because sometimes you, you see these, well, you, I mean, I'm guilty of it. You're putting these two against each other all the time, but he's not wanting to be pinned like that. And, um, and he's seeing himself well in this tradition as a Vantillian, as a Kyperian. And I think some subtext that we can see here as well is that he sees them as friends because of the common grace connection. Right. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. The whole doctrine of common grace really came officially out of Dutch reformed churches. And so as Klein develops the doctrine of uh, the covenant of common grace, uh, he sees himself as um, at least related to them on that level. Oh, absolutely. And especially Kuiper and Vantel, I think probably, you know, those are the two players there in terms of shaping his doctrine of common grace. What do you think about that? Well, unfortunately, it cut out on me as you were saying that, so I missed the content. <laughs> I said, <laughs> um, um, I think the two big players in shaping his doctrine of common grace, you know, I, a lot of it is obviously fresh decline and, and just significant to his own, uh, or comes out of his own exegesis. But I think uh, Vantel and Kuiper together are the two big players in terms of shaping that, that, that common grace doctrine for him. What do you yes. think? Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. All right. Well, um, 
I mean, you know, it's interesting also on the common grace stuff, which is, you know, a lot of the, I mean, you do have some of the, you know, Calvinist and Dutch tradition that reject common grace entirely and, you know, move into like almost a, what some would call the hyper covenantalism or, or something along those lines. But um, what's, uh, you know, the doctrine of common grace itself really matters on this in that if you, if your doctrine of common grace is just uh, God is basically, you know, allowing, uh, well, I'm kind of happy with the co-belligerence thing, but, but almost like a, um, it's a platform for which to redeem things. You know, it's a, it's a holding mm. back of, of evil, not for the purposes of simply a co-belligerency or a, com- a, co, uh, a tolerated sojourning or anything like that, uh, but actually a, 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 an advance to take what is at, at this stage common and make it holy, you know? Um, I, that's obviously where you have this difference uh, on the underbelly of the doctrine uh, as it moves forward in, in Dutch thinking. Um, and you have to keep an eye out for that because they'll use the same terms and it sounds like they're on the same page but you realize they're just night and day apart sometimes on the stuff on, on what common grace is for. And I suppose a lot of that comes down to, you know, the question of, you know, why do we have common grace? Is it, is it, is it a stage upon which redemption can play out or is it um, something that is achieved by Christ the mediator uh, as a sort of precursor to redemption of the creation itself, uh, which, which is kind of interesting, you know, so it's all mm-hmm. rooted in Christology and uh and that sort of thing but um what he says um it should therefore be identified with the holy kingdom of god which is the structural manifestation of that salvation uh is an important little hint of what's coming up in his uh interaction with uh um he wants to um sort of agree and not agree with Doyavet at the same time, and uh, at least those that are coming from uh, that tradition. So let's maybe um, just read a little bit on and see what he says here. Failure to respect the boundary between the common grace culture of which the city is an institutional expression and the holy kingdom of God uh, is an error that takes various forms within a variety of theological positions in other respects quite divergent from one another. That's actually what I was talking about earlier. That's the whole charismatic versus liberal. Can you think of anything else he might have in mind? No, I can't. I think, yeah, it wasn't anything particularly on his radar. Probably theonomy at some level. Maybe, I wonder who else. Yeah. He probably would have listed all those things, including theonomy, if you asked him. Totally. Um, All right, so he says, with respect to this problem, special account will be taken here of a branch of the Reformed Kuyperian tradition, the tradition to which this present work is most indebted for its concern with the development of a biblical uh, world and life view, we shall interact with the Neo-Doyavidian school and their application of the cosmonomic philosophy to the subject at hand. Boom. Now we're into action, right? This is cosmonoma. What now? Cosmonoma. <laughs> All right. Cosmonomic. What, what on earth, right? That's Doyavid right there. If anyone has ever tried to read any of Doyavid and succeeded on the first go, I want to, I want to meet that person. <laughs> It's just absolutely, insanely, ridiculously difficult reading. You know, it makes mm. Klein look like a warm bath. You, know? <laughs> you come back to Klein, you're like, oh, this is sane. This is okay. This is nice. We can do this. But cosmonomic, uh, you want to have a go? Rough and dirty definition on oh that? Oh, my gosh. No, you don't? I'm not right. philosophically trained. All right. Well, neither, well, I am. So leave it to me. <laughs> I'll be fine. 
All right. Uh, all right. So cosmos and namas. Cosmos, namas. Cosmonomic. Cosmonomic. See the connection? Okay. All right. Along cosmos, namas. I think, yes, yeah, so we got the world and we got like laws. I love the way, I love the way Van Drunen talks about him. He's like, he's basically like a souped up natural law theologian. <laughs> it's like that must be some sort of special blasphemy in the in the neo-calvinist world you know to talk about uh it as a natural law guy but uh really i mean at the end of the day it, it's kind of like i mean you've got he's just basically gone gung-ho with this idea of 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 the creation norms right like he's just taken that mm. i was reading this last week reading um his book uh roots of western culture um and you know i, I it's so it's so weird because I, I got a real appreciation for for his whole deal you know because i've always whenever i think about david normally I'm, I'm just like what on earth bro it's like so far in this one little abstract direction but I, what, what they were doing, and this is like a really, anyone who's into this is going to like scoff at what I'm saying now because I'm probably going to get all, almost all the details wrong. But basically, very rough, you know, a rough hack sort of, uh, you know, overview here. In his preface to the book, he basically says, um, you know, I'm because the whole, uh, you know, it's post after the war, you know, and they're trying to pull, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the whole Netherlands vibe together again and, and figure out how it's going to work. And, um, and they're coming out of that, you know, we need to just abandon antithesis. We need to go for something. It almost sounds like they're up for something a little bit n more normal, you know, a little bit more sort of a, a, a pluralism, um, a political sort of just embrace of everything to try and just move the nation forward, pick it up out of, out of its difficulties. And, and he's going, no, 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 no. This is the time to hold on to antithesis and, you know, the Christian antithesis. And, and what he means by that is just like this worldview that's a, that Christianity stands for, that, that Kuiper has been so big on, that sets things up, that's just at, the, at its ground motive, 100% different from anything else out there. You can't mix them at all. You've got to have a distinctly Christian thing. And he says, um, you know, but it's easy for me to say this. And this is what really got me reading the book. I was just so excited about seeing his approach here. He says, um, you know, it's one thing for me to just say that to you, you know, and just go, um, you know, no, no, we need to do this because of, of this ground motive issue. But, you know, if I was going to be a responsible theologian or philosopher or just, you know, citizen Christian, really, I have to be able to tell you not only that your mixture of these, of these worldviews is going to, you know, not be, provide what you're looking for, but you know, and, and I, he says, I feel like I can say that quite confidently, but he says, you know, to be proactive about this whole thing, I need to be able to tell you exactly what my worldview can bring to the table and how it can fix things and, and provide this whole, this whole approach to every conceivable area. Right. So he's, he's, you can see what drove him there for a second because, you know, you're thinking like, dude, the guy just went so wide and just touched everything and just like, what a, I mean, what a towering intellect, you know, at, at that level. He just basically redesigns life, you know, on this whole issue. <laughs> and, and you just think, what would have driven him? Well, he's just feeling compelled to put before the Dutch people a way forward that actually does come from his worldview. So it, it actually, you know, steered him on like that. Um, so, it, you know, you got to give him props for, for just like sticking to his guns and, and actually just taking on the Pepsi challenge, you know, and just going <laughs> for it. 
So, um, you know, that's, that's Doyavit and, and he's, um, and I think it's significant that he gets mentioned here as well because, um, you know, he is really, I mean, Kuiper, you got Kuiper and, and as uh, Van Drunen will often say, Kuiper's basically, you know, he's inconsistent, but I mean, on his doctrine of common grace, on his sphere sovereignty stuff, on his natural law stuff, he's basically kind of moving along that classic trajectory of two kingdoms or two kingdom paradigm, at least. Um, and where it really gets neo-Calvinist, like when we think neo-Calvinist now, we're not really thinking Kuiper. We're thinking Kuiper mediated through Doyavit. And, um, and so I think it's quite significant that he, he goes, mm. all right, let me, let, me, let me grab hold of the guy, you know, and, and his guys. Um, and we don't really know who the neo-Doyavitian guys are. Maybe, maybe they are like guys that, that they were interacting. I know um, the Irons had a few ideas there. Um, you had a few ideas, you know, we're all kind of guessing, I suppose, at some level. But I think it's, it's fair enough to say that people who were building on Kuiper mediated through Doyavit. I think that's probably a, a nice, safe way to approach that, which is really at the core from where I'm standing. I mean, that's, that's neo-Calvinism. You know, that's the thing that's going to make neo-Calvinism neo-Calvinism for me. So it's really right on the money for, the, for, for Klein's interaction with, with neo-Calvinism. Um, but um, before we go on to that uh, next paragraph, anything you wanted to uh, chip in there with, Chris? Not yet, no. All right, let's jump in. Uh, characteristically, uh, members of that school have been critical of schematizations that distinguish between the city of man and the city of God. In particular, they would frown on the suggestion that the city of man is common in the sense of non-holy. They believe that they detect the scholastic nature-grace dualism lurking in any such approach. But to dismiss every two-city schema on the grounds of such a suspicion is too hasty and undiscriminating. Certainly, in the form being advocated here, yeah, the common city, holy city distinction is part of a total view of Christ and culture that recognizes and indeed emphasizes the full cosmic creational character of the covenantal kingdom at last, excuse me, uh, at last realized through the covenant of grace. I love that. That's great as well. It's yeah. kind of, again, it's like going, listen, it's like the number one retort right there to any neo-Calvinist th thinker, right? Because we're saying, that you know, we're, that's what we're doing. You know, we're we're seeing a total view here. It's not like we're opting for some common dualism thing that's got you know half of the world in in, in some other sphere that we don't care about. You know, it's we're we're incorporating it properly under the reign of Christ. This is the way to do it. We're we're after the same goal in many sense. In many mm -hmm. senses, you know that um that famous um um Kuyperian quote. You know that everyone loves the um there's not one square uh, square inch of creation that Christ doesn't declare mine or sorry, messed that one up. You know, I, I know there's some real type of fans that are just hating the way I said <laughs> no, that, that right good. now. I mean, you meant to stay it with a little bit of gum for every time you say, <laughs> but um, anyway, so, so uh, I mean, amen. Right. I mean, that's true. Exactly. In terms of the yeah. reign uh, of Christ. And there's some mm -hmm. sort of thing about the realm that we'll get into, but, but in terms of the reign and the way this all, it's really just a matter of asking how that works. How is Christ King over everything? You know, no one's yes. denying it though. Isn't that so stupid the way that people deny it? You know, it's so, so ridiculous that people are looking at Klein and two kingdoms and, and basically saying, you know, that, that they're denying Christ's Lordship over everything. I hate that critique. Yeah. It's yeah. not an honest critique. I think you said before, um, which I always, it just stuck with me. And 
you know, this is a great way to think about it. Just whose covenants are there? You know, I, I right. realize we haven't talked about the covenant of common grace, and but you know, people would have had some uh, reference in that in previous discussions. But the whole thing is is regulated through these covenants. Whose covenants are there? You know, exactly. Answer. Boom. Slammed. Kahi style. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, our contention is, moreover, that the identification of the common grace city as non-holy is not only systematically compatible with such a total worldview, but that it is demanded by a specific, uh, by the specific relevant biblical data. The scriptures compel us to distinguish between the kingdom of God as realm and reign, and to recognize that though everything is embraced under the reign of God, not everything can be identified as part of the kingdom of God viewed as a holy realm. So that's super key, isn't it? Reign and yes. realm. Which um, is Klein's... I think unique uh, definition of theocracy that it's right. not just the reign of God because that's the way we talk about it popularly. Um, but there's a, a, a metaphysical space connected to that reign that we have to take into account as well. Totally. Yeah. Brilliant. Hey, can you hear the, the guy, there's some people working on my kitchen right now. Can you hear that? That I can't hear. Yes. Oh my goodness. So sorry. This is a real amateur hour. This is why we're not, <laughs> this is why we're not doing podcasts this week, people. Sorry about that. But hey, you're getting good stuff. You're getting good stuff here. So stay with us. All right. Let's just try and do one more point before I shut this down before the whole world melts on me. You know, <laughs> we've got, got the kitchen guys working on the kitchen. We've got my Wi-Fi just going all ballistic. Anyway, so I just wanted to get to the structural directional stuff. So one more paragraph. And then maybe at least then all we've done is uh, we've set it up for next time we talk. And, uh, you know, we can come back to what client says in, in response. But, but um, you know, then, then we can go ahead and put people out of the pain of listening to this. You know, this, this horrible background noise. Uh, we are in uh, agreement with the Neodoyavidians when they account for the religious antithesis evident in the life of the city um, by treating it not in terms of the structural nature of the city, but as belonging to the direction of the response given to the city mandate in the fallen situation. By, by relating the religious antithesis to the directional aspect and not to the structural aspect, the institutional legitimacy of the city can be properly affirmed. So... You know, uh, any thoughts there? Um, well, just, you know, I'm thinking of the way that the uh, uh, neo Verdians are going to take this uh, and insist that, you know, we need to have Christian, uh, I, I forget the term that you said that they use, but um, to use Vantillian terms, Christian presuppositions, right? You know, at work in yeah the ground what motive, we do yeah. in the structure, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I I can't help but think that there are unbelievers who are involved in the city, who have the the good of the city and the good of the citizens of the city in mind, and that um, a lot of times. Um, it is, it's in the right direction. And why, why would we want to say, no, 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 we can't do it that way because you're not a believer. We have to do the same thing over here because we're believers. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't express that very well, but I'm just saying that sometimes when we're looking out for the good of the city, um, we end up doing many of the same things that unbelievers are doing. Totally. I agree. 
trying to mute the mic while you speak. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm looking so perplexed. Not because of what you're saying, but because of my stupid microphone. Um, yeah, no, amen. I agree 100%. Um, so, you know, I, I realize also the, the structural directional thing. I mean, I have to, haven't really got my, my head around it. I mean, you'd have to read deeply into Doyavir to even know what's going on there. But basically, basically, again, it, I think it's fair to say that the structural stuff is just basically what he means there is the way, you know, the creation norms, again, the way things are set up. The directional stuff is, um, in, in Doyavir's mind, the way that we've de- deviated or not deviated from those norms. You know, so we, redemption would be a return to those norms um, and uh, obviously the fall would be a deviation from those norms. So your directional, you know, it makes sense. I, I like the way Klein does that. He says, listen, with that directional stuff, no problem, because that's antithesis. Amen. We got Babel to prove all of that when it comes to mm-hmm. trying to build your city in an antithetical way, you know, doing exactly the opposite of what um, was intended to be done. Um, so it's, it's even cool to be able to affirm a lot of what Doyavir is saying at that deep level, you know, um, and to go, I love the way Klein does that. He just, you know, I, I think it was his grandson or son in one, one, something I read that said he speaks about things in terms of a, or the way he approached um, debates and whatnot was in terms of a, a sort of a total system coherence, you know, a Vantillian uh, approach to things. And I love the way it made him get to the bottom of, of, of the issue. You know, this is exactly where we disagree rather than just some superficial like and fluffy thing. And so he's going, you know, even to the point where like, Hey, directional, amen. You know, we get it even to the, the you know, we're even affirming that essential creation norm uh, understanding and that the fall has happened. But really, I suppose one way to look at it is that um, in terms of the eschatology, we're not, we're not in agreement in terms of the structural, the restructuring in terms of that eschatology, we're, we're not, we're not on the same page. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I mean the whole, uh, well, I suppose, um, you know, you've got the, even the way it comes through in their rhetoric, you know, you've got creation, fall, redemption is the ground motive. Creation, fall, redemption, creation, fall, redemption. And it's never creation, fall, redemption, you know, consummation. Consummation. You know? Yeah. Missing that. It, it just always <laughs> yeah. misses it. Yeah. It yeah. always just wants to go back to creation. Now, you know, in the sense, I mean, we all kind of agree with that, but it's, it's new, you know, <laughs> and that's the missing link right there. Exactly. And yeah. I think, Klein is just a genius at that point because he even sees consummation as he's talking about creation with Adam and everything. And so he can't possibly miss it then, you know, as he's working through the rest of his biblical theology. Yeah. Amen. And that's why that, that original setup uh, is so important. Um, So anyway, so that, that, I mean, that at least uh, gets us into it. I think from this point on, Oh, let me just read one more paragraph here and that'll round us up for this morning. Uh, and, and then we can just talk about it from that point on because there's still quite a lot to get through. And I actually wanted to kind of talk about how client masterfully comes and dismantles all of that, but we yes. we're not even going to okay. get to that. But um, at least, you know, if anyone cares, they can come in and look at this again. Um, he says, unfortunately, I have a, in their philosophical zeal for an abstract structural monism. Apparently, the Neo-Doyavidians commit themselves to a view of historical reality within which the creator himself would not be allowed to respond to the fall with appropriate modifications of the institutional structuring of the original creation. So that's boom, that's right on it, right there. Um, specifically, he would not be free to introduce a structural dualism in which their 
coexisted legitimately both holy kingdom institution and non-holy institution. Or stated in other terms, the cosmonomic philosophy does not seem able to do justice to the impact of historical eschatological developments on the created world order. There we go. Well, that's, that's a better way to put what we were just saying right now, but it's good. I mean, I forgot that that paragraph was there. So at least, at least, um, at least we're kind of tracking with Klein, you know, we're, we're thinking along his thoughts there. Um, so that, that's a good place to stop, I think, and just set it up for, for next time where we can just overlap on that last paragraph or two and, um, and, and pick it up. It's a super interesting discussion. Uh, you know, yes. the way he goes into this is just amazing. It's such a gem of a little section in, in Kingdom Prologue, especially from where I'm sitting now in terms of thinking about the two kingdoms stuff. Well, I've gained a whole new appreciation for this section, just having this conversation with you, yeah. because honestly, as I've read through Kingdom Prologue, I've been like, okay, I haven't had time to look at Doe Beard, so I really don't know what he's talking about, right. but I get his point and let's move on. <laughs> Wise man. Wise man. Yeah, it's like, and you know what you've just done? You've saved your whole life. <laughs> It's like, it's like, it's like, because like, where, where did I read this? I think oh, I was fr- frame actually in, um, it, cause he wrote that thing on the Amsterdam philosophy, which mm. is actually a very, very helpful. Well, it's unhelpful on this front in that frame himself is Doyavidian, you know, he, on everything mm. we're talking about now. Um, so he's not critiquing any of this, but if you did want to, from a neo-Calvinist perspective, get um, your head around Doyavid in a, a space of time that, that really doesn't require your whole life. Um, you know, he, it's about 50 pages or so. And I think, you know, I, I got, I've got the whole thing on Logos, so I'm not sure where, where it's available. Otherwise probably on his website, but you know, frames good at that. He bringing that philosophy down to it's, um, you know, just, just quick lucid form. Um, and, um, anyways, but what he says though is, uh, as he as he as he opens that up, he goes, "Listen, uh, you know, Doyavidians are, are so like technical, and it's difficult even for those that are trained, you know, to even track with what they're saying. And so usually they can just get away with everything. They can just say whatever they want, and no one's going to be able to keep up with them. And you know, this is a problem. And, and then and then you know, if someone says, well, this is too technical for me.'" Um, uh, they'll sort of come back and say, well, you know, really you should be, you should be able to follow us in order to critique us properly because you're not hearing us properly. You know, so it goes in the, along those typical lines and he goes, well, here's the bottom line. No one has a whole life to spend on Doyavid to understand what the <laughs> heck he was saying. You know, so it's, it's actually get, gets to the point where it's unfair because, you know, like no, you can't just hear him properly and then, and then respond because you just don't have enough time in your life, you know? And, <laughs> and, uh, and it's true. I mean, the guy was crazy, but it, thankfully I think, um, uh, he did write like a few key works on this issue, you know, uh, which helps a little bit. Like he wrote that one, I forget what it's called now, but something like, um, a Christian view of the state or something. And, um, and then, uh, his roots of, of Western culture is super helpful as well. So, and they're like quite lucid little books compared to his like exploration of cosmonomology. <laughs> which is just like, (laughs) dude, forget that, you know? And he's got like a new term for every single thing out there. Mm. Oh, it's just a nightmare. Anyway, but, um, got to give props to the dude. Pretty, pretty amazing mind. All these Dutch guys. What are the Dutch eating? What are they drinking? What's in the (laughs) Dutch water? Amazing. Well, it's because they start their babies drinking beer. I mean, you got to, you know, we just done, we solved that problem. (laughs) <laughs> Done deal. All right. On that note, I'm not going to play out now because I don't even have the tech to do that. So goodbye, Chris. Good talking <laughs> with you, Mike. Good talking, man.